With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And as I promised, each week we will return, and I have done so. This is, in fact, A Different Perspective, and I truly am Kevin Randall. I'm joined by Irina McCammon-Scott, who is uh, actually a Ph.D., Dr. Scott, uh, she's an American author and a physiologist. She received a BS from The Ohio State University. I wanted everybody to know I know exactly what the name of the organization is. An MS from the University of Nevada and a PhD from the University of Missouri in the Department of Veterinary Medicine. Her postdoctoral studies were done at Cornell University. So she's been around the college campuses quite a bit. She has been employed as an assistant professor, Department of Biology at St. Bonaventure University, and has done research and teaching at The Ohio State University. I always like to do that. I don't know why. Uh, She's also taught at the University of Missouri and uh, the University of Nevada and at the Battelle Memorial Institute. She was a correspondent for Popular Mechanics magazine with articles appearing in the Technology Update and Science sections. She has worked as a volunteer astronomer at The Ohio State University Radio Telescope in Delaware, Ohio. She is the author of six books and has contributed chapters and articles to numerous scientific journals, magazines, newspapers. Uh, Her listings include Who's Who in the World, World Who's Who of Women, Who's Who in the Midwest, The Dictionary of International Biography, and Who's Who in the Frontier Science and Technology. What an impressive resume. Welcome to A Different Perspective, Dr. Scott. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very glad to be here. Your latest book, which I did not mention on purpose, is called UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation, and Government Cover-Up. In the few moments, and I say, you know, we just got a couple of minutes here before we have to take a break. Can you tell me a little bit about the book, and we'll then continue on in the next segment? Okay, it's, um, well, it's for sale on Amazon.com. I generally presented it in chronological order uh, from the beginning of the modern UFO idea in 1947, around that time, to today. And so I cover the um, historical aspects and also try to cover the cover-up. And when you say the the you, you started with the modern era. You're talking about the Arnold sighting in June of 1947? Uh-huh. I present a little bit of, I present some information. That maybe the government knew something about UFOs before that. But I'm, I start on that idea that came in in 1947 that they might be E.T. craft. But you don't, you didn't look at the Foo Fighters, the Ghost Rockets, or anything that preceded the Arnold sighting. No, I looked at some of it, and that's why I was 
um, presenting some evidence that I thought the government probably knew about uh, the subject before Arnold's sighting. And by, by that you mean about UFOs in some fashion before Arnold's sighting exploded on the world? Uh-huh. Uh, did you find anything specific about the Arnold sighting that you found interesting or new? I found all kinds of things that were interesting and new, and it would take <laughs> half an hour to describe them. Um, one thing, before the Arnold sighting, uh, one thing we discovered was that uh, Cordell Hall, who was the Secretary of State under Roosevelt, he had a cousin, and the cousin um, visited him. He was very high up. He was the um, long. He was Secretary of State for the longest time of any. He was a, called the Father of the United Nations, and he uh, Roosevelt wanted him for his running mate when he ran for president. Um, so he was high up in the government. Well, let me inter- let me interrupt you here because we're going to have to take our first break. But you're talking about Cordell Hall, who was the Secretary of State under Roosevelt and had some knowledge of UFOs prior to July of 1947. And we'll look into that uh, when we come back in just a few minutes. Uh, for more information about uh, UFOs and this sort of thing, take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And I often forget to mention the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, which you can listen to and uh, learn about the paranormal and also other aspects of it like that so that it's something uh, you might move into a different arena. But we will be back right after this, so please stick around. Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. President of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. 
with my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500 plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Proving that I have not lied about this, we are in fact back. I am joined by Dr. Irina Scott whose book is UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation, and Government Cover-Up, which is available at Amazon.com. And I think uh, the publisher is Philip Mantle, or you're associated with Philip Mantle, who is a well-known UFO. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. UFO researcher, uh, entrepreneur. He's been involved in UFO research for a long time, so he's quite knowledgeable what's going on. Uh, when we went away, you were mentioning Cordell Hall and suggesting that uh, he was aware or he had a relative who was aware of UFOs prior to the Arnold sighting. Can you kind of give us a brief uh, examination of that? Well, his cousin was a minister, and he went to see Cordell Hall once and visited him in Washington. And he said that Hall took him down to a sub-basement, a hidden sub-basement of the Capitol and showed him bodies that were in big jars of formaldehyde. He called them creatures and some kind of, he called it a craft, I think. Um, and the cousin told his daughters about that and he told them not to say anything about it for many, many years after both of them died. But both of them died and eventually they talked about it. And so that's who, uh, we interviewed with the daughters. You interviewed the daughters. Um, but, so Cordell Hall didn't talk to, about this to anybody that we can look at. It's, it's a relative of his who talked about it. Is that correct? That's right. We found nothing that he had published about. But we sort of speculated about that he was founder of um, United Nations and maybe he was influenced by something like that. It was 1939, they 
think approximately. So I was going to say, do we have a date on this thing? So you're saying this was 1939, so it predates Roswell by uh, a number of years, eight years. And uh, I was thought, think, thinking that you might be relating it back to the Cape Girardeau crash from, um, was it 1941, I believe. But you're suggesting it even predates that. Uh-huh. And what you did was you talked to the daughters of the man who talked to Hall. Hall, is that correct? Yeah, that was his cousin that talked to him, and we interviewed one daughter, but the one daughter said the other daughter remembered something about it, too. We talked to the older daughter, and she remembered more. Uh, but hasn't this information been published before? We published it on our local... Um, I think we were the first that published it. Uh, we published it in our local newsletter. Okay, all right. Uh, but when we're talking about something new and different, uh, you mentioned the Arnold sighting. I mean, the Arnold sighting is the the point that we all kind of begin at, even though it, 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 UFO, modern era of UFOs began in nineteen. I, I believe in in World War One or World War Two. I'm sorry, World War Two, with the Foo Fighters. But you you start with the Arnold sighting and uh, move on from that. And I noticed you talked about the um, Maury Island uh, evidence. Can you can you talk a little bit about Maury Island for us? Yes, I didn't include too much on the Foo Fighters because everybody kind of knew about it, and I didn't want to take a whole lot of space on my book on everything. Um, there were, when Arnold saw his, had his sighting, which is June the 24th, 1947, um, there were several other reports. One was a, um, a prospector who, appear, who appeared to have been seeing the same objects that Arnold saw, and he said when they approached his compass spun, which was kind of a funny thing, and then there was an aircraft, um, a pilot for a commercial airline, Captain Smith, who saw nine objects that may have been like um, Arnold's, but not at the same time. There was well, was wait, wait, wait. The, the, the Captain Smith sighting took place like two weeks later. Yeah. I didn't mean I, – I said it wasn't the same sighting at the same time, but it, he saw – he might have seen something that looked like the same objects. Okay. All right. It was the same time. I'm sorry. <laughs> And and but we were I was trying to get us toward the the Maury Island sighting. What was that all about? Okay, is that predated that predated Arnold by three or four days? Yes, it did. And it's generally considered a hoax. And um, I read Arnold's book and some other things, and it appears that people thought it was a hoax by two men, Chrisman and Dow, who um, claimed they were. Harbor patrolman, and that they, the one, um, Dow was in his boat with his boy and his dog over Murray Island, and some donut shaped UFOs flew over and dropped debris. And that was uh, the main point of his um, report. And it's normally considered a hoax, but as I looked into it more and more, I thought it was a more advanced hoax than two men could have done. Well, when you say more advanced hoax, you mean that the story was too complex for these two guys to have invented? Yeah, I thought it was a lot more complex than two people. Are, are, are you suggesting there might be some validity to this sighting? No, I wasn't suggesting that. Okay. I was suggesting that they might have been a part of a much bigger hoax and were maybe doing what somebody else was telling him to say. And do we have an idea who that might be? No. I would, I would, I would have said Ray Palmer, but that would be just me. And, well, and for those who don't know, let me, let, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but for those that don't know, Ray Palmer was the editor of Amazing Stories Science Fiction Magazine um, in the 1940s, and he was very excited about uh, some stories that uh, that he had published before Arnold, that suggested some kind of flying flying objects, not from interstellar space, from from the inner Earth. So, anyway, that's who Ray Palmer is for those who want to know. But uh, you're you don't know who might have been pulling the strings for Chrisman and Dahl then. No, I uh, some of the references say Ray Palmer, but 
I thought it was more complex than what Ray Palmer could have done either. So I just wasn't sure exactly what was going on, but it seemed awfully strange. Well, why do you why do you think it was more complex than these two guys could have pulled off? What what kind of leads you in that direction? Well, for one thing, he reported it, and he was a very qualified pilot. A very he being he being Arnold, right? Uh huh. Okay. I, he was as qualified as you could come. He flew this very difficult to fly airplane, and knew his way around all the mountains and everything in that area, which was near uh, Tacoma, Washington, and all through there, and Mount Rainier and everything. And he was just very well qualified and very good at flying and very intelligent. And well, so nobody's nobody's questioning nobody's questioning uh, uh, Kenneth Arnold. Uh, what I'm what I'm asking is where uh, the Maury Island case, which is separate from Arnold for the most part. I know they get involved in it later on, but the Maury Island case. Um, what where where are we going with that? What do, what are you suggesting there about it being more complex? Are you suggesting a government hoax here or a government tie-in? Are you suggesting uh, what what exactly? are you suggesting here? I'm suggesting it might be a government claim, and there's reason to think that, but there seem to be some other elements that were even more complex than a government tie-in would be. Um, for example, when he reported that, it was the 24th of June, and these were aircraft that he very carefully studied and calculated the... We're back, we're back. But we're back to Arnold. We're back to Arnold, and and because we're we're playing with a couple of cases here, we got Chrisman and Dahl, and we got Arnold and Ray Palmer now, and uh, Captain Smith, um, who uh, was was a commercial airline pilot. Uh, when you say he, you've got to tell us who who he is, so we can keep uh, track of which player we're talking about. This was Arnold. Yes. Okay, and um, he reported these objects flying over the United States. He gave a very good report. It was all over the newspapers. And one would expect the government to contact him because the government was very concerned about flying objects over our airspace. But, um, and he wondered why the government didn't contact him. And it was not until the middle of July that the government contacted him. Patterson contacted him. And that seemed very odd on the part of the government that they wouldn't be interested in these things flying over the United States. And it also made me think that maybe the government knew something about them because I would think they would contact him real fast if they didn't. So Arnold uh, has his sighting of the objects, and I think the headline says uh, mystery objects in fast flight and things like that. He said that they move like a saucer skipping across the pond, and the term flying saucers was born uh, out of that. Um, and Arnold eventually made a report to the military, and at the time it would have been the Army Air Forces as opposed to the United States Air Force. And the file, we have the file in the... Uh, the Project Blue Book file is available for anybody who wants to see it on online now. So we've got a very good sighting there. It is sort of corroborated by uh, this prospector named Johnson, although he doesn't report his sighting until after Arnold's sighting is reported in the newspaper, so there could be contamination there. Then we get to the Maury Island sighting uh, with Chrisman and Dahl. Um, so I, I do not understand why you think there is something more to that site suggesting I'm sorry suggesting that the uh, there's a, a, a wider spread hoax here than just Dahl and Chrisman making something up I don't understand how you came to that conclusion well I didn't I was just giving evidence from what Arnold said that seemed strange to me uh, one of was for example the government took a long time to contact him Another thing was is that he uh, flew into Tacoma to, in, I mean Arnold did, to investigate the Murray Island uh, sighting, which Raymond Palmer was paying him to do. I don't know if he was very thrilled about it, but he flew in, and so far as I could tell from the book, I, I read his original book, he didn't seem to tell anybody 
that he was going, he landed in, um, in Tacoma and he looked for a hotel room. He looked all over. He was unable to find a hotel room. And so finally, he called the most expensive hotel in town and asked, and there was a room reserved for Kenneth Arnold. This seemed strange, and he thought there must be another Kenneth Arnold. So he decided to take the room and move out when the other Kenneth Arnold came, but no Kenneth Arnold ever came. And that sounded kind of like something that somebody had hoaxed. Also, well, wouldn't would maybe maybe uh, Ray Palmer, who knew he was going to go to Tacoma, Washington, have uh, booked the room for him? Well, if he did, he didn't tell him. But I, I would think that would be a logical conclusion that uh, that Ray Palmer is the the source of this mysterious hotel room. Well, I don't know because there seemed to be. Um, I mean, he just called it the lock. He didn't know there was going to be anybody there. Uh, you know, that would be reserved in his name. But there was some other things that happened that made it sound like it was bugged. Okay, well, we'll, we're going to get into that in just a moment. I've got to take a a quick break here so that we can pay a few bills for the uh, X-Zone Broadcast Network and everybody else. Uh, As I say, take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. The book is by uh, Irina Scott, UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation, and Government Cover-Up. It's... um, on Amazon.com, uh, Philip Mantle is involved in it. I've looked at the book. It's a very nice-looking book. I mean, the way it's laid out and all that is very impressive. So we will return in just a moment with Irina Scott and talk a little bit more about Kenneth Arnold and his mysterious sighting. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. 
If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. I have returned, as I promised. I'm with Irina Scott, Dr. Scott. Her book is UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation, and Government Cover-Up, available at Amazon.com, even as we speak. When we left, we were talking about Kenneth Arnold. He'd uh, gone to Tacoma, Washington, to uh, investigate the Maury Island UFO sighting, the um, incident reported by Chrisman and Dahl, where uh, apparently a UFO... Uh, shed some material, maybe have landed on the island, Maury Island, left material there, um, injuring, allegedly injuring, uh, I think it was Dahl's son and killing their dog, and Chrisman was involved in all of this as well. We have uh, Arnold now in Tacoma, apparently to interview Chrisman, Chrisman and Dahl, and uh, he's found his hotel room. So let's let's go from it. You were about to say there were some other mysterious things going on at that time. Let's let's look at those. Well, there were a number of mysterious things that went on. Um, for one thing, um, he found Dole's phone. He found a phone book and Dole's number in his hotel room, and he called Dow. And Dow was supposed to be hoaxing, which he probably was. But he also warned Arnold off and said, go home. You don't want to get messed up, mixed up with this. And then he told um, Arnold this story about it would be what would be called a men in black encounter today. And men in black came in in about 1960s. But he told Arnold that he'd been in... Um, on near Mary Island. Nobody else was there except his son and dog. And that this mysterious man wearing black came and told him about the whole episode he, that had happened to him, even though he was the only one there. And then the man in black um, threatened him and said if he wanted his family to stay healthy, he better shut up. And this seemed kind of out of place in time because nobody had ever heard Men in Black until the 1960s. But you're kind of applying a, a, a phenomenon, the Men in Black, to something that happened in 1947. And we really don't – what we know about Dahl is he's involved in a hoax. So why would we believe that this tale he's telling Arnold is true? Well, there, I mean, I was saying I don't think it was true. Um, but I don't know why he said that um, at that time. But I – I don't think, I mean, I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm just writing down what confused me, and these things confused me pretty good. Um, so uh, I, I assume that Arnold in, uh, interviewed Dahl and Chrisman uh, at his hotel, and they uh, told him the story of the, the flying saucer, the UFO, donut-shaped UFO, if you will, Um what did Arnold do after that? What was Arnold's reaction? What? How did he investigate? Uh, what he did later was um, that government men came to talk to him finally after Wright Patterson. 
Uh, government men, you mean two officers from the 4th Air Force in California, uh, Brown and Davidson, uh, two, two Army Air Forces officers involved in intelligence came to Tacoma and talked to, to Arnold while he was there, correct? Uh, I think they visited him before, twice. Uh, the first time, I think, was at his home, and um, Lieutenant Frank Brown and Captain William Davidson and uh, they seemed they were the uh, Air Force, the Army investigators, but they seemed very interested in the UFOs and told him they were practically bug-eyed for watching for them. And that was strange because later the government seemed to cover up everything and always debunk UFOs. But, I mean, in, 1940, in July of 1947, June of 1947, the government had no idea what was going on. Uh, they're as confused as Arnold would have been, as we would have been, had we been there at the time. So these guys are sent out to investigate this mysterious sighting. So I, I can't really see anything preposterous in them suggesting that they were um, interested in it and maybe excited about what Arnold had seen. I, I, I don't see any problem there. And, and didn't Brown actually tell... Arnold, that if there was anything else you wanted to talk to him about or anything else came, came up, that he should contact him at 4th Air Force headquarters there in California? That's right. And yeah. so so Arnold, while in Tacoma, calls Brown and Davidson and says, hey, I've, I've got another case here you guys might be interested in? Well, what happened was he called Brown in California at the air base which was where he worked and where he was an investigator of UFOs. But Brown hung up and took the call from an outside line, which seemed really funny to me because he was the official investigator, and why would he be taking the call from Arnold, who he said to call him there, from an outside line? <clears throat> that, didn't make, that was another thing that didn't make sense to me. Maybe the Audubon system wasn't working really well. I throw I throw that in. Audubon was in the 1960s. The Army had a a special internal uh, phone system called the Audubon, and you could you could tap into it by tapping uh, t calling certain numbers, and it would be Audubon, and it would be charged to the government, not the local phone. So it it could be something as simple as that. Uh, Brown Brown trying to get it from a different different line or a different perspective. Uh, I don't see anything mysterious about that. But uh, So anyway, Brown and Arnold are talking, and Brown and Davidson decide to go to Tacoma to interview Arnold. Uh-huh. And one other thing that seemed real funny to me was that on, when Arnold flew to Tacoma, he had another sighting, and that didn't make the news at all. But these were 20 to 25 brass-colored objects that were uh, small UFOs, like um, like 30 inches or something in diameter. And they flipped as they went, and they looked like the larger UFOs he saw. But that, I mean, to me, that wouldn't be... It, it might have been something connected with the UFO phenomenon, instead of the government or Palmer or anything else, because they didn't have any drones in or anything else that would do that. And so, but we're, we're in Tacoma. We got Dahl and Chrisman and, and, and uh, Davidson and, um, and, and the other fellow whose name escaped me at the moment, Frank um, Brown. Brown. And we've got, we now have Arnold there. He's called his pal um, E.J. Smith, who is the airline pilot, and they're all meeting in Arnold's room at the most expensive hotel, most exclusive hotel in Tacoma, Washington. And what transpires there? What is there anything interesting that transpires at that point? Um. I mean, they're all they're all sitting around talking about this stuff, uh, this this sighting. Um, they've got samples of the material that they I think they put into a. Uh, uh, breakfast food box, a corn cornflakes box. Uh, what was Brown's and, and Davidson's reaction to the story? What did they think? Well, for one thing, they showed Arnold the fragments. And um, let me see, it was uh, Dow that invited Arnold to a secretary's house, which he said was his secretary's house. And the secretary's house looked very normal. It was just a 
normal house. The secretary was there sorting through papers in her kitchen and everything. And he showed him, he showed Arnold these fragments. Um, later, what happened was, is that the um, Brown and um, Davidson, they thought it was a hoax too, as Arnold Smith thought. And they had an air show coming up the next day. And so they wanted to fly back to California. And Arnold thought they were tired and thought they shouldn't go. But they decided to go. Their airplane had been under guard the time they were there. And what happened was that even though um, the military men didn't want the fragments and had no interest in them, well, uh, Dal and Chrisman wanted to put the fragments in the plane. And so Arnold said he lifted the box of fragments onto the plane. And he said they didn't look anything like the fragments they showed him. And that the uh, box seemed a lot heavier. And so then the men took off and their plane exploded was what they heard. Did anybody did anybody survive? I think two people survived, but neither of the two were uh, Brown and Davidson. So Brown and Davidson are flying the aircraft back to Hamilton Army Airfield in California. Um, the plane actually catches on fire. The two passengers bail out successfully and uh, are rescued, but um, Brown and Davidson are killed as the airplane began to break up in, I guess, midair. So uh, it's really kind of a coincidental aircraft accident, isn't it? It could be. I, I just don't know. I was just listening to what I thought was odd. And what I thought was odd was that um, Arnold didn't think the fragments were what he had been shown, which seemed a little funny. And also their airplane was in top condition because they were going to be in an air show the next day and had been under guard. So it just seemed a bit strange to me that it would explode. Well, let me, I mean, I'm a former military pilot, and while flying in Vietnam, I'd flown all day in one aircraft, and we were going to evacuate the airfield that night because of rumors of, of enemy action. And I was assigned a new co-pilot, and I thought, you know, the aircraft has been flying all day. There's no need to check it. And he crawled up on the tail, tail boom to check the, the tail rotor, which we did every morning uh, that way. And uh, the linkage came apart in his hands. So here I'm, fly, I'm flying an aircraft that had been perfectly functionable uh, 30 minutes before, and now the, the linkage on the tail rotor had fallen apart. So I don't think there's anything that unusual or that suspicious about this airplane just because it had been in uh, um, uh, on an airfield or, or whatnot uh, in another location. I, I don't see that as suspicious at all. Well, I wasn't saying that this was. I just said... This is my list of things that seem strange to me. Um, I mean, I didn't mean that I knew that this was a, a advanced hoax or anything else. I just meant I was listing the things that just seemed strange to me. Well, it seems to me it seems to me what we've got here is is Chrisman. By the way, uh, Chrisman had been in contact with Ray Palmer in 1946. And there's a letter published in Amazing Stories magazine from Chrisman, I believe it was, uh, about Lemuria and one of Ray Palmer's favorite topics that suggested that UFOs, flying saucers, were from the inner Earth. And when the Arnold sighting happened, uh, Palmer was excited simply because it suggested that there was um, a truth to the inner, inner Earth story. So I think that's why Palmer got excited and that's why he got uh, Arnold involved in that whole thing, but I think we've kind of exhausted this story. So uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about a couple other things in UFOs today, 70 years of lies, misinformation, and government cover-up with Dr. Irina Scott. I will have more about this on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And as I always say, uh, if you're interested in the Roswell case, specifically take a look at Roswell in the 21st century, and we cover that. I also did a book called uh, The UFO Government Files, where I cover some of this stuff as well as, as uh, Dr. Scott has done. You can take a look at that and get 
well, I will say it, a different perspective on that sort of thing, uh, which I think is important. And I, and I don't say it enough, but if, for those of you, take a look at the X-Zone Broadcast Network and look at the other fine shows that are broadcast there and uh, give a listen to some of them because I think you'll be excited about what you hear. So we'll be back in just a moment, so please stick around. Ah, me. Are you curious? Do you want to learn more about how the world works and have fun at the same time? Study coincidences with me, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on my Connecting with Coincidence radio show here on the XZBN network. Listen to Jungians theorize, statisticians randomize, true believers evangelize, while I categorize. I dance to the rhythm of coincidences. People who experience me see more of them. Maybe something on the show matches a thought in your mind. Let us know. Expand your mind to the weirdness happening around you. Synchronicity spoken here, there, and everywhere. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence in your search engine and find my website, my social media sites, and my blog. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net.
I am back with Dr. Irina Scott from the Ohio State University. We're talking about UFOs today, 70 years of lies, misinformation, and government cover-ups available at Amazon.com. We had been talking about Kenneth Arnold, the Maury Island case, and that sort of thing, and some of the strange phenomenon around that. Um, But there was one thing that that intrigued me about this book, book, and it's uh, something that has been bandied about on the internet lately, and you report on a guy named uh, Forgus who uh, claimed he was, well, claimed he was a deputy sheriff in Texas, Big Spring, Texas, I think, who had an opportunity to view some of the wreckage of the Roswell crash or was involved in that some fashion. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, we, uh, the information came to uh, the publisher, and there's been a lot published on on um, Roswell, many books and everything else. And so we came across this information and discussed whether to say anything. And we decided to. We don't in any way think it proves Roswell or disproves Roswell or anything else. It's just information. And we decided to put a small blip about it in for uh, just to put it in the public domain and in case we found anything else interesting about it. Um, so he was a deputy sheriff. There's a lot of things that don't quite go together, and I kind of discussed them in the book. But he went with a uh, sheriff who he was in Big Springs, and he traveled. He was traveling with a sheriff to Roswell to pick up a prisoner. And along the way, they heard on the police radio that there was a crash. And so they decided to go see it. And um, they came upon it. I suppose they uh, knew the, the local roads and everything because I don't know what the roads were like back then. They were crummy. Yeah. <laughs> really, really crummy. And in fact, today they're really, really crummy in parts of New Mexico. Well, I've driven around Texas, and I've been in Big Springs and Roswell, but I haven't been between the two, but I, I figure they're about the same as what I was used to. Um, anyway, they heard about this crash, and so they went to see it, and he said there were a lot of military people around. There was an object that was about 100 feet in diameter that was round, and four bodies, which you couldn't see very well. And um, he said they looked like they were smaller than people. And when the wind blew some parts of them away, they looked like they had feet like people and big eyes. But anyway, he said they were being lifted by a crane into a um, truck. And then they told him to leave. And he and the sheriff left and they went to Ro- to Roswell and picked up the prisoner and went back home. But they didn't talk too much to anybody because he said they didn't talk because um, nobody was interested. But maybe that's because nobody had heard of Roswell. And if they had heard of Roswell, they would have probably been interested. But that just, we just included it because there's so much information and stories about Roswell that we had one. And somebody actually said saw the bodies, so we thought we would include it. We know it doesn't prove anything. Well, we we would should say allegedly saw the bodies, and I think that one of the problems is in 1947, Roswell was all over the front pages of the newspapers for two days. Uh, I mean, even the New York Times was talking about the case and the Roswell the Roswell case. Granted, they all pretty much said it was a weather balloon, except for the first few papers. Uh, such as the Roswell Daily Record and some of the other papers that got the story earlier before their uh, deadlines. But there was a great deal of talk about it. What bothers me about this is clearly he's talking about the event after the military is involved, after the uh, cordons had been set up. And I don't understand, A, how they would have found the site because it's not visible from the roads. Uh, Just hearing about a crash of a UFO in Roswell, you're going to have to have some kind of directions on how to get there. And they would have run into the military cordon. And I know from talking to people who were there, 
Uh, Judd Roberts comes to mind immediately. He was a minority station owner of KGFL Radio in in Roswell at the time that he had attempted to go out the next day and ran into the military cordon and then the, the uh, uh, military police, the, the guys running the cordon, had turned him back. I don't understand how a sheriff's deputy from Texas would have been able to pr- uh, penetrate the, the cordon there. They would have never allowed him close enough to see anything if he could, in fact, find the place. Well, I like I said, there's all kinds of holes in this. And so, um, I don't know, uh, except they might have just, they, they might have been traveling more than once to Roswell, and they may have known the little roads that went around. But that's would be my guess, but I don't know. But that, but the, I, I don't see the police radio giving a location. I mean, so that the well, other people could get get there. there there's no actual motive for the uh, Chavez County Sheriff, which is Roswell, to be talking on the police radio about it on what would essentially would be um, the day after everything is kind of announced. The cordon, the military cordon, is already up. Uh, I don't understand how they would have been able to find anything close to that. I don't understand um, how they would have had an idea of where to go, even if they wanted to see it, nor do I understand how they would have got past the military cordon. Because even if the, the, the guys running the, the roadblock was a low-ranking uh, enlisted man, if, if he had a question about allowing these civilians, in essence, through, he would have called the sergeant of the guard who probably would have said, no, they can't come through. And if he couldn't do it, they would have called the officer of the guard, and he would have said, no, don't allow them through. I don't understand how they would have penetrated the cordon. Well, I don't know either, but that's just part of the story that um, there's a whole lot of confusion on Roswell with all kinds of stories, and lots of them don't make a bit of sense. I mean, the site where the UFO came down has been moved by different authors all over the place. Well, we know we know that the the debris field the debris field was up uh, near Corona, and everybody agrees on that. The location of the bodies is what's problematic, and frankly, the description uh, provided by this guy uh, sounds amazingly like he was looking at a picture I photographed of uh, the alleged crash site given to us by Frank Kaufman, and it's uh, the perspective is from that photograph. So I find this story really bogus. Um, and if I'm a little disappointed it's got getting the play it, it is in other media simply because there's no really fa- real foundation for it, and, and you haven't provided me with any sort of evidence that it took place. Well, um, I, I read your um, article in the different perspective and read your, um, your comments on this. Yes. Um, and thank you, thank you for the plug, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm also reading three of your books, including Roswell and the 21st Century, but I haven't read them all through. But um, one thing I noticed that would be different is you talk, you had written the first books about Frank Kaufman and his observations, and that's uh, you that seemed to go to pieces after a while. But um, you we, showed. We, it became we learned that Frank Kaufman was making the story up. Uh, there's really no question about it. We found the documentation. We found evidence that he had, had misrepresented himself as a master sergeant when, in fact, he was only a staff sergeant. He had said he was an intelligence. He was actually a, a basically a personnel clerk. Um, we found an awful lot of things that he had told us weren't, weren't true. So the Frank Kaufman story is is bogus. There's no other way to put it and, and should be reduced to a footnote in the great uh, Roswell Compendium. Okay, well, I read that, and I'm uh, going through your large book on the 20th century. Um, but you you show a picture of the Christ site of Frank Kaufman. Yeah, your- well, we... Yes, it, I took a picture. It's in the the, the first or the second uh, Roswell book I did with Don Schmidt. There's a picture of the crash site, and this is what uh, Fergus has uh, described. I don't know about that because all the um, other crash sites were northwest of Roswell, and in the case of this uh, one of uh, Fergus. He came from Big Springs, which was southeast of Roswell, 
And so this might have, what he was reporting might have been a completely different site because he didn't say anything about going on past Roswell and coming back. He said that this was on the way to Roswell. And so this might have been a completely different site. well, I would say there's really no evidence of that. Um, I, you know, I find the story hard to believe, but but that's just me. Um, I'm going to have to end this here, unfortunately, because we're running out of time. I appreciate you taking time to share your thoughts with us about your book, uh, UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation, and Government Cover-Up, which you can get at Amazon.com. And I, like I said, I'm very impressed with your credentials. Um, I believe you still teach at the, the Ohio State University. Um, and uh, those of who who are interested can take a look at the book and decide for yourselves what uh, what you f- think of it. We will be back next week with another episode. We'll be talking about UFOs, obviously, because that's what we normally talk about here. I always try to point out, and and Dr. Scott did a nice job of talking about Roswell in the 21st century, which may help you put the whole thing in some kind of perspective, uh, trying to distill all the information about the Roswell case into kind of a neat package so you can understand where we are today after all the investigation has been done by all the various researchers and all the various people talking about it and get a much uh, better idea of what happened in Roswell and where we stand today in that investigation. Uh, always take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. You can see my comments on Deputy Fergus's um, information. And uh, take a look at the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, because uh, I think you'll enjoy all of them as well. I will return in 167 hours with another episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.